Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. It's always a pleasure to be coming to you from Augusta National Golf Club, home of the Masters. It is Tuesday of tournament week, the busiest day in golf media. Press conferences nonstop, all day long, all the heavy hitters in the sport from Roy McIlroy to Tiger Woods to defending champion Scotty Scheffler. Rex, I've been here a little bit longer than you have. What are your thoughts on Tuesday of Masters Week? I think, well, it's twofold. One, we're going to sit around and we're going to continue to talk about what to expect from the live players. I think the narrative has been set. And, and we can come at this from a number of different angles. How are they going to go together? I think you just did a very good analogy on our live from hit. I, I don't know if, if the one thing I disagreed with you about is I, I don't think this is some sort of mandate for them. I don't think that if the live players come here and struggle, then suddenly referendum is the word that you're referendum is the word that you're looking for. I don't think that's the case because I think it's, as you pointed out again in your live from hit, it's too small of a sample size. The, the other one is, is we have this great dynamic atop the world ranking right now that you have Rory McIlroy, John Rom, Scotty Scheffler, the defending champion, all playing really, really good golf right now. I mean, they might be playing their best golf of the season, which is the best case scenario. And then I think we also discussed this idea. When was the last time we showed up at a Masters and Tiger Woods was the third or maybe fourth most important storyline? He's the fourth. He's absolutely the fourth to me. You think of the tour live dynamic as number one. You think Rory McIlroy's pursuit of the career Grand Slam as number two. I think of Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, uh, Rory, kind of the big three who have, who have separated themselves over the first couple of months of the season as number three. Which of those players who have been peaking uh, will then get it done at the Masters? Then Tiger's number four. I think that's just the competitive reality that we find ourselves in. Tiger Woods spoke uh, today, and he was asked whether he still believes he can win. And he, it's just like a token, just like a token answer at this point. Like, yes, I, I certainly believe that I can win. In reality, it's a made cut. It's a T37, and we're going to be moving on with Tiger Woods. That's just that's just how it's going to be. Well, and I want to zig here while everyone else is zagging when it comes to this. And no, 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 not at all. Absolutely not. Uh, but everyone doesn't get to, to Tiger Woods, and, and I hate doing this. I kind of based on what's important on when I do a radio interview and you do the same thing. Like, at, at what point did Tiger – I don't do radio interviews anymore. I don't. That's a really dismissive way of saying it. You want to try it again or you want to workshop that or you just want to come out and say that, no, you, you don't have time for people on radio? No, I, I, I love the folks on the radio. I'll do, I'll do Sirius XM with our friends, uh, Jason Sobel, uh, Michael Breed. We've had Gary Williams. But actual like local, local radio, no. What do you have against Seattle? <laughs> Hello, Milwaukee. Great to hear from you. Uh, no, it, I'm, a, I'm a golf channel employee. We, our, our regular day-to-day operations are keeping us plenty busy. Uh, and so giving out free content, no, I don't believe in it. Okay, I'll be there for you, Seattle, then, since he's not. But the point I was trying to make was I kind of base it on when do I get asked the Tiger question? And the Tiger question now is fourth or fifth, and that's af- after an avalanche of live golf questions, and then they talk about who's hot in, in the game right now. I, I am with you. There is nothing about Tiger Woods, either his game or even his attitude. I mean, look, he seemed to be in good spirits when he spoke to the media on Tuesday. Uh, those around him certainly seemed to enjoy themselves. I go back to that practice round on Monday. It was with Rory and Tom Kim and Fred Couples. It looks like that was a lot of fun. But by that same token, Fred and Rory were also quick to say, swing looks great, still explosive. He still has to walk. 
that is uh, the determining factor when it comes to Tiger Woods. I wrote about this on GolfChannel.com. You guys can check it out uh, on Tuesday. And I, I find it very interesting. And, it, and this, is, this is unique to the Masters, where players are, are willing to help each other and share little tips and tricks of what they've learned over the years at Augusta National. It, it almost seems like a team effort to try and figure out the mystery of this golf course. And I'm sure Tiger Woods does not share his entire wealth of knowledge with a JT a Rory or Tom Kim, uh, who he was with on Monday. I'm sure he withholds some nuggets, but I, I want, I wanted to yell to tiger like, no, like don't say anything. Do not help these guys. Your one advantage over the players in the field in this masters is your knowledge of how to play this golfer. She even admitted as much. His only advantage is how that he knows how to play this golf course. He's, he doesn't hit it longer. He doesn't hit it higher. He doesn't hit it closer. He doesn't, putt better he doesn't chip and pitch better his bunker play is not better like the, the the only thing he does better right now than the other participants in this masters field is he knows how to navigate this golf course execution is a, is a whole different thing but like from a game plan standpoint plotting your way around the golf course standpoint he should be keeping that as proprietary information i, I would not be sharing that at all if tiger woods wants to contend in this masters i really wouldn't uh, it seems a little selfish, which I guess I should expect coming from you, if I'm being honest here. I, I don't know at what point. I mean, he, he said it himself, I think at least twice, maybe three times, that he's looking forward to getting in the quote-unquote buggy in a few years. And by that, he means riding in a golf cart when he goes to the PGA Tour champions. I don't know at what point. Do you really think we're going to see Tiger Woods on the senior tour? Do you really? No. I mean, maybe a major here or there. Maybe if Fred talks him into it or Davis Love. But no, I, I don't. Like a consistent, like guy who's going to log 22 starts on the PGA Tour champions and play against Ernie Els and, and Bernhard Langer and Steve Stricker. No, and I'm not going to let you derail this because I'm going to st- stay on the topic here. I think it's important to point out that at some point he has to become the older statesman. At some point he has to become the grandfather, whatever the case may be, or the older brother or whoever we want to stage this. At some point the gray hairs start coming out. It, it might as well be now. I mean, I don't know why suddenly you want him to get selfish. If anything else, he talked about today turning the corner that I want to be in a position where he can tell Tom Kim that, no, you do not want to be left of 10, the green on 10. Whatever the golden nugget was, because Raymond Floyd did that for him. Freddie Couples did that for him. Marco Mira did that for him. So I don't, why, does, why does he have to return the favor? Why? You're, you're the greatest player of all time. Why, why would you have to return the favor? I don't know if you're framing this correctly, because it's not about returning the favor. It's about passing it forward, I would argue. Be, it should be preserving your competitive advantage, especially as as vulnerable as, as Tiger Woods is. He, I mean, listening to Rory, it's like, oh, boy. You know, he can hit all the shots, but, you know, just the toll of walking 72 holes. Like, it, it, pity is not the right word, but it, it almost sounds like they're empathizing with Tiger's plight. If that's the case, if Tiger can hit all the shots and it's just about walking, like, this is the one little advantage you have? Preserve it by all costs. And be an absolute trap door. Lock it shut. No information to get back. And how long would you like for him to do that? Indefinitely, just for the rest of his life, just, just hold this knowledge close. Uh, you know what? I'm going to talk to Ben Crenshaw tomorrow, and I, I, I'm going to ask him his thoughts on this. Someone who has who's turned, who's handed down all of his knowledge about this golf course as a two-time winner. Again, very, very selfish. To your point, it was amazing. Anytime a Fred Couples or Rory McIlroy talks about Tiger in the past, it's been like, oof. Not going to put anything over on Tiger. Like, absolutely, I'm never going to overlook him. Like, he can do anything. He can do special things. It is amazing that both of those guys kind of echoed the same 
idea that yes, he's hitting the shots and yes, it's impressive to watch him still swing the golf club. It's not impressive to watch him sort of try to walk around this place. So I, I do think there is something to be said there uh, to turn the page to where I started of the three that are at the top of the leaderboard right now. And let's call them that, you know, just the season long leaderboard of John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler and Roy McIlroy. Is there one that stands out to you that would be the clear favorite this week? Cause I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around. Okay. Here's my one, two, three. If anything, I come up with a one, a one B and one C. Yeah, clear, clear favorite. No, like prohibitive favorite. Uh, I would, I would say no. I would put Scotty Scheffler atop my list of favorites. I, I do think he has earned that distinction. And look, it's it's been three players in the history of the Masters who have gone back to back. None since Tiger Woods uh, in two thousand one, two thousand two. But I think I think Scotty is is uniquely qualified to handle that. And I think there's a lot of reasons why you haven't seen. Uh, players win in consecutive years obviously the difficulty of the golf course the uh, variables of the weather conditions and the turf conditions what have you but but scotty i think he did a very smart thing the monday after the players championship which of course he won uh in blowout fashion he came uh, with his father and his swing coach uh randy smith and just had a great time it was the first time he'd been back to augusta national since he won the masters last april they just spent a couple days here relive some of those moments. Uh, he said it was emotional. And then on Sunday, so two days ago, uh, he and his sister Callie, who used to play uh, competitive golf as well, they played 18 holes. He said he wanted to, quote, get the memories out. This is a player who prides himself on staying in the moment, not thinking about what happened in the past, not thinking too far ahead. And so as a defending champion, you're always asked for your recollections and your reflections. And, and Scotty Scott Shuffle just doesn't really – think like that so i thought that was very wise to get sort of that um the memory phase of his title defense either way obviously he's gonna have the champions dinner on tuesday night and then it's full steam ahead to thursday and so that would be like the one sort of drawback you'd have for scotty scheffler as a favorite this week and i think he's actually uniquely qualified um to to handle that better than virtually anyone I would agree with that, and I think Scotty is probably that 1A character. But I guess the bigger question in my mind is where where do John and, and Rory fall at this point? I would probably put Rory sl- yeah, slightly ahead uh, of John for no other reason than Rory seems to be in a better place, to, to quote him. I mean, he seems to be in a better headspace. I think his, his finishes are better here. He certainly goes back to last year when he walked in the media center to, to, to sit down. I did it again, media center. Mm, there. Range. Media center, ten bucks. Ten bucks right here. There, there's a there's nomenclature that you have to use at a go, at Augusta National. It's it's not fans. That that would be that one would work. Uh, it's not fans. It's patrons. It's it's not a range. It's the tournament practice area. It's not a media center. It's the press building. All of these things, and I can only imagine that there's someone. We're actually in the uh, press building right now. I got it right that time. I can imagine there's someone in the press building with like a sharpie. And every time they hear someone say something wrong, whether it's fans or gallery or whatever the case may be, there's just a check mark against them in that particular case. No, I like the way Rory's mind is as far as, okay, I realize I've done this 14 times. I know what I've done wrong. And that's norm- more times than not getting off to a bad start. I know that that's not the way to go. I know that playing the Texas Open isn't the way to it's it's so much easier said than done, but I think you do have to appreciate the fact that he's played 81 holes in the last two weeks here at Augusta National. And why did he do it? He did it because he can, and it's fun. 
He didn't do it because it was a scouting trip. And there's nothing about this golf course that he needed to learn over 81 holes that he hasn't learned in the last 14 years of showing up here. I, I, maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I think that tee box is pretty straightforward, though, when you hear of all everyone's explanation, and we'll get into that in a minute, minute of the new tee box on 13. It, his is, seems the simplest that, look, they've kind of t- took the thinking out of the tee shot. It's just hit a driver as hard as you can and try to get it as close to the flat area, the flattish area in that fairway. Because really, unless you're wildly right and you're one of the longer players, you're not going to put it in the trees anymore. And it's too long for most guys to try to work it around the corner like we've seen in the past. So all you're trying to do is pretty much hit your stock driver into that hill, let it die. And then depending on there, do you have a five iron in or a four iron? Because a five iron is probably going to be okay, but a four iron is going to be too much off that lie. I think that's what it's going to boil down to. But over John Rom, and I did listen to a little bit of John Rom's press conference today, and he, he seems to be in a confident place as well with his game. And clearly, you know, he has started the year pretty much like you would expect him to start the year. I do just like sort of the way Rory is carrying himself around the Roy property. Right the press conference. You're saying Rory won the press conference today. In the battle of Roy versus Rom, you think Rory won the, won the press conference? Yes, he did. No, I mean, that's it. Like, there's no other way around it. Like, if you're going to read body language and read between the lines, then. Yes, Rory is going to walk out of there and me thinking, yes, this is going to be the year. But he was also the one to say that, well, they used to say that about Ernie Els and Greg Norman, and neither one of them have a green jacket right now. Tiger Woods said, Roy McIlroy, quote, will, it will definitely happen. Speaking of Roy McIlroy winning the career Grand Slam, and I think Rory was the first to admit uh, that there have been several players in history who have done that. I, I, I do think it's interesting, and I'm sure that this is the work of Dr. Bob Rotella, who Roy has worked with over the past couple years i i do find it interesting how rory has framed the final round 64 at last year's masters you can look you can look at the first round and i and i would look at the first round it's his fourth consecutive year in which he shot over par in the opening round to basically torpedo any chance that he has of winning the masters but he no he looked at the 64 and he said look i i proved to myself that i could do it i felt at least on the second nine um, that I had a little bit of nervous energy and I was able to to summon some great shots. Eagle 13 uh, and shot that bogey round capped by, of course, by that, that whole out bunker shot on 18. He called it cathartic. He said it was a bit of a breakthrough for him. And look, on the outside, from our perspective, it, it seems to be glossing over the fact that the slow starts have been the ones that have been the, the reason why he has not yet slipped into a green jacket. But if Rory feels like that was cathartic. If that was a breakthrough, then who are we to, to, to disagree? If, if, that's, if that's what gets him to a better frame of mind on Thursday, it certainly makes his Masters much more interesting if he's in it from the get-go. And I think I've kept falling back on the tired old crutch of it's only going to get harder for him as these things go by. And I don't, I'm not saying that's not he true. Be, he would be historically resilient at this point. No player has needed this many attempts to complete the career Grand Slam. And so for Roy to, to do so would, would obviously be historical. And he also he also started that chase a little bit younger than most people do. But I see what you're saying. No, I, I agree with you on that front. And I don't want to keep falling back on that cliche because you don't know. Maybe this is the combination. Maybe 81 holes is what you want to see in this particular situation uh, of just going out and having fun and playing practice rounds with people that you like and doing a lot of smiling. Maybe that is the, the formula because he's tried it every other way and it hasn't worked out. I just don't know how much easier it gets. He's still going to show up on that first tee on Thursday, and it's going to be in the back of his mind that, man, this is either going to be a 73 or a 64. Like it, It's probably not going to be anything in the middle. He's, and he's playing uh, on Thursday afternoon when uh, the weather uh, is supposed to roll, and so it's, it's, I think, to be determined just how many holes he is going to be 
getting in. I, I think a lot of the comfort, and you mentioned the 81 holes, I think a lot of the comfort that Roy McIlroy is experiencing right now just comes from preparation. Like he's done everything. There's nothing else that he can do. He's, he's done the work at home. He has a swing in a good place. Thanks to Michael Ban. he's made the equipment tweaks, whether it was going back to the blade putter or going to the shorter driver that he feels like he has a lot of control. And obviously we know that his entire game is predicated on how he drives the golf ball. And so if, if everything is in a good place, if he's got Dr. Bob Rotel flying in on Tuesday and doing some work with him on Wednesday, then it's, it's kind of out of his hands. You know, it's just, let's, let's see what happens uh, on Thursday, uh, and we'll see how he can perform in the year's first major. You mentioned, Rex, the at the top of the show, the, the storylines, and it's not Tiger. It's not even necessarily Roy's pursuit of the career Grand Slam. It is this dynamic. This is the first time in nine months that we have had the best players in the PJ Tour and the best players on the live circuit, 18 of them in all, who are together here uh, at the Masters field. What has been your impressions of their interactions, uh, the practice round groupings, even the pairings that we've seen now for the first two rounds of the Masters. Rory played with Brooks today on Tuesday at Augusta National. I think that is probably an indication of, of what we were expecting. I was at the Live Golf event last week, and I, I guess the takeaway was what we're kind of seeing now, and like we're never, well, we probably won't know at least for quite a while, what happens in that room tonight in the Champions Center. There's not going to be a food fight for a lot of different reasons. Probably primarily is the food that he's serving doesn't really necessarily lend itself to throwing outside of the sliders because no one's going to throw a ribeye at you. Oh, that could, that could slap. Throwing a ribeye? That could slap. You would slap someone with a ribeye? If it's a nice, thick Wagyu ribeye, which I'm sure they're serving tonight, yeah, you could slap someone right across the face with one. What about the firecracker shrimp? No, that's not something you want boiling on your skin. Um, so you don't, you don't think on Wednesday morning that when we rush out to the tree – players players who are in that room are going to be eager to to discuss how how it all went down Whew, that was a nightmare i couldn't wait to get out of there how much time you guys got let me fill you in on every nasty detail you don't think that's how it's going to go that's the ugliest dinner i think i've ever been to no i don't think that's the way it's going to go and i keep going back to the idea and i had a player say this to me last week at the live event and i've heard it a couple more times that whoever was going to show up this week dj being the primary example they miss DJ. They love DJ. They still spend time around DJ in South Florida. So, yes, when he showed up on the range and when he shows up tonight at the Champions Dinner, he's going to get the bro hugs. And Freddie's going to be happy to see him. And Tiger's going to be happy to see him. And he's going to fit into that crowd like nothing's happened. If, he, if that player wasn't liked before Live Golf, they're certainly not going to be liked now. And you can figure out who that is. Like, go through the list. I mean, go through the list. You can figure it out yourself. There's no reason for me to name names because we can sit here and go, well, that, that guy clearly – Hasn't been on the right side of history on this one, depending on who you ask. I think Sergio Garcia is probably the most interesting one because he's certainly close. Like John Ron was asked about, you know, have you spent time around Sergio this week? Absolutely. And so I, I think that shows the dynamic here. And, and I hate to go into the, the Twitter narrative on this one, but there probably is something to the idea that the media is blowing this a little bit out of proportion. That, again, they're not slapping each other with Wagyu steaks tonight. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get tense in the Champions Center. Like that's Scotty's night. Everyone's there to celebrate Scotty. And also, this is this is an invitational tournament. Like any any con any conduct that could be deemed unbecoming could potentially result in an invitation not being extended next year, even if you are a past champion. Like it's a year by year type basis, just like the CBS deal is. I and I don't I don't quite understand why there was this expectation. Like things could be tension filled on the tournament practice area. See how I did that? Not the range. I think, I think the drama 
would potentially be on the weekend. That's where you would have these sort of turf wars where it's a pizza tour loyalist versus a live defector. And let's see who could win. That was kind of the undercurrent, right? Of the open championship. Although it had not been uh, finalized yet with, with Cameron Smith going to live golf. It was widely understood that that was going to be the case. And it was kind of Roy McElroy, the PGA tour savior versus Cam Smith, uh, who was certainly weighing his options, if not uh, already uh, packing his bags for the Saudi back league. And so that was kind of the undercurrent for there. I, I think a similar dynamic could, could play out. And you and I have talked about this the last couple of days on live from it is impossible to gauge who the best players are on live, how they'll perform in the major championships year this year against the best players is DJ a $35 million man last year in earnings on live is not played his best golf this year. He tweaked his back in Saudi Arabia uh, a couple of months ago and has not played his best golf. Cameron Smith by his own measure is not playing anywhere close to the, uh, does not have anywhere close to the form that he showed last year in the breakout year that he had where he won five times uh, globally. Is it going to be Joaquin Neiman? Is it going to be Abe answer? Is it going to be, Kevin, not probably not with how long uh, the golf course is going to be playing. Like who's going to step up. It's going to be Brooks Kepka, the winner last week uh, in, in Orlando. We have, we have no idea. I made the analogy, even though I blew through stop signs and they were yelling at me, they were yelling at me that they needed to go to break. I, I liken it to a Georgia, Ohio state championship game. Georgia plays all year against sec competition. Ohio state plays against a weaker big 10 competition and when you get to the championship game and in last year's case it was a semifinal like you're just gonna try and figure out like how do they match up well you really don't have any idea they haven't played any like opponents and so when you get to the the championship game the semifinal game like it's exciting it's a big game and you have no idea how those teams are actually going to go head to head that's basically the dynamic that we have here at the masters you have a really really bad habit of throwing a, a very private joke out there with, without getting giving any context at all. Because someone's listening to this podcast right now is like, did they run a stop sign? Did they get a stop ticket? Did they get a speeding ticket of some sort? So what happened to open up the, the, the kind of behind the scenes here a little bit? We were doing a live from Hit earlier today, and our producer told us, okay, you have however many minutes left. We have a minute left, and I probably, to, to own my side of this, spoke too long, and then I, I kicked it to Lav with only 30 seconds left, which is anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that that's not enough time for Lab to clear his throat. And as the producer quietly counted him down in his earpiece, said, okay, 30 seconds, 20 seconds, Lab just kept plowing forward with his analogies and his, his Georgia football and Ohio State football. 10 seconds, we got to get out of here. We got to go to break. And Lab just kept plowing forward, and we call that running through stop signs. So that's what that means. I, I made the point in that hit, and I would counter – and I would agree with you on this front. I truly believe that Cam Smith is still a top five player in the world. Is he right now at that at that form? That's hard. That's hard to know. It's impossible to know. This goes to my point. I, I find it impossible to handicap those players because we simply don't know. Like I said, I believe Cam Smith, I right, from a pure talent perspective, is a top five player in the world. Oh, uh, he's got a major and a players championship. Yes. He's got a major and a play talent. Yes. Are you kidding me? Like, what are we talking about here? I still think Dustin Johnson is a top 10 player in the world. But given their schedule, and I'm not even knocking, I'm not getting, I'm, I'm not taking sides on the 54 versus 72 hole issue. I'm talking about just pure reps. Just if you're looking at how do you get ready for major championships? Tiger Woods talked about this today. Look, with his body and the state of his game right now, he simply cannot get ready the way he did over the course of his career. And we can all agree 
that whatever it is Tiger Woods did to get ready for major championships, that's probably the right way. Like he seemed to have found the formula. In this particular case, there's no way around the idea that these players simply have not been given, given themselves the opportunity to get ready. So it would be impossible for me to sit here. Now, to your point about this being some sort of mandate, Cameron Smith kind of owned that. Where you get this mandate? <laughs> it's, it's referendum. I'm not sure where you're getting mandate. Mandate is like a rule, a statement. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, the general public, Rex. I think honestly, will look at the leaderboard on Sunday evening and 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 deem live a failure or success based on how those players. And look, th- that's not just me talking. Like Cam Smith said, it is important to be up there because it's important for us. To do well, you talked to him last week, and he echoed very similar sen- sentiments. Phil Mickelson today met with the media, actually somewhat surprisingly, and said, "Yes, it would be validation for the talent level that we have out there." That, that's not a, a media talking point. That is legitimately how the live guys feel. Greg Norman, uh, in comments over the weekend, said that they're planning some sort of group celebration behind eighteen, whether it's behind eighteen or, or by the scoring building, is uh, very much TBD, according to um, uh, some folks at Augusta. And so, y- yes, I, I do feel like there is a us against them mentality that the live players have. And so um, when, when you're looking at, at, at this week, uh, I think, I think live, I think the live players have more to lose this week than, than anyone else. I just think that's being a prisoner of the moment. And I'm not saying that that's not going to be the narrative. I, I can certainly see us looking at Twitter on Sunday afternoon. And if it is, and I'm just throwing names out there because they did it earlier this year in Dubai, if it's Rory and Patrick Reed, it's going to be glorious because both of us love chaos and that's what it's going to be is chaos. But I, I don't know if he beats Patrick Reed coming down the stretch. If we're going to go, oh, look, Live Golf is a failure. Or vice versa, that, oh, Live Golf is, well, think, is owning. I think that would be a success if Live Golf had a player who's very much figuring prominently. I think that would be validation for their model. Because, like, like, right now, let's, let's, let's say if, if DJ plays poorly, Cam Smith plays poorly, Brooks Kepley plays poorly, Bryson and Phil and Joaquin and um, Abe Answer, if, if the whole crew plays poorly this week, I can, I can assure you, that the storyline over the weekend is is look at the live model. It's clearly not working. The long break that they had, Cam Smith talked about. He probably took too long of a break, and he's he's uh, having trouble rediscovering his form. You look at the tournaments that they have played, three courses that really do not uh, prepare these players well for Augusta National. You look at the level of competition; they guarantee money. The whole live model would be under heightened scrutiny if they do not play well. That's just that's just fact. That's that's just the reality of the situation. They realize that we realize that. And I can't wait to see how that plays out. I don't know if it's an indictment. I'm going to go ahead and use another word here uh, on live golf, as much as it is an indictment on just their schedules. And look, maybe you can argue that's a byproduct of just live golf and look where they are, where we are in the world. According to a times of London report today, that the arbitration case in London between the, the DP world tour and the live players who are trying to maintain their status is going to go the DP world tours way, which means there's going to be even fewer opportunities for the live players to compete at a high level they can go compete on the asian tour and the international series events i just don't know if that's the high level that they need to get ready for an event like this and the rest of the major championships i would just i would rather shelve this conversation to your point until we get done with the last major championship of the year until we're we're flying home from england so you, so you don't want to talk about this we're gonna do we're gonna do daily pods for all the major championships so we have to do Let's see, that's 16 daily pods and plus uh, the preview pods. So you don't want to talk about this ever again. 20, we'll go 20 pods and not discuss this? 
I didn't want to talk about it on this pod. You you weren't picking up what I was laying down at all. I was trying to avoid the narrative whatsoever because it's all we've talked about all week long. Absolutely not. Of course we're going to talk about it because it's an important part of golf. I'm just not willing to make that leap that everyone's going well, to come. It'd be an incredibly small sample size. Like you'd like it would be it would be ir- it would be reckless and irresponsible to draw conclusions after four tournament rounds. However, the overall narrative on ESPN, whatever you listen to is going to be did does the live model hold up to the scrutiny of major championships that's that's just a fact of the matter i don't oh you're absolutely right it's going to be the fact of the matter because it's what the public wants to hear like they, they try to spin it and say oh that's what the media is talking about i can tell you right now that's not what the this isn't a media driven phenomenon this is what the public is curious about because there is controversy for the first time in golf that we can remember as far back as anyone can remember, there is true controversy in golf. There's, there are players who don't like each other because of what side of this issue they are. And what I am saying is we are going to talk about it, but it's patently unfair because you simply cannot make a snap judgment based on whatever's going to happen over the next four major championships because it seems like that's the only place they're going to go head-to-head. I will spin this and say, and we, we had this conversation last night on live from, and I do, would want to get your idea, that let's say a live player were to win this week. In however you want to interpret that, let's say a live player does win. Is that good or bad for golf? My argument was at the time that it's good for golf because it's only going to drive this narrative even more. It's certainly good for live golf. It's certainly good for the fans. It's good for the major championships because they're only going to be elevated. And everyone's now going to be interested to see what this head-to-head matchup is going to be. Now it's not great for the PGA Tour. I will concede that. Yes, it's it's, it's good for golf. It, it would be horrible. It would be horrible uh, for for the PGA Tour. Certainly, look. I, I, I think. Do you think it's actually going to happen this year? Like, or like, do you think you actually have a lit player win a major championship this year? And, and again, I'll go back to. I, I don't know that I've ever it's come such in. Such a small. It's it's such a small number of of possible options. Not particularly this week. It's eighteen players out of eighty nine man field. So I don't do percentages. I mean, I mean that's not a small sample size. Right, but do you think it could be a Bubba? Do you think it could be a Phil? Do you? Th- I mean, Liv was very. Um, smart in how they have selected the players that they were chasing after. Whether you look at the past champions of the Masters, whether you look at Ryder Cup heroes, whatever the former number ones in the world. Like I always, I always chuckle when people are like, "Oh, look how many, look how many Masters champions Liv has." Yeah, they targeted them. That was the reason why. Like they're already ingratiated in this entire major championship lore, and will be a part of this tournament for as long as they want to do so. It, it wasn't like, "Oh, we got to just get Charles Schwartzel." No, like there was a reason why you targeted. Charles Schwartzel. So, to to me, the only players who are on live who can win this week are DJ, Brooks, and Cam Smith. That's it. There's there's three possibilities. Uh, I would I would expand that. I mean, I think Taylor Gooch is still a young, talented player. He certainly hasn't played like that on live golf. And again, I haven't. It, this is like trying to write a story blindfolded. Which, for those of you who read some of my stories, you probably think I write them all blindfolded. However, I just can't sit here and say that maybe that format's just not good. Let's use Taylor Gooch as an example. Maybe that 54-hole concept just doesn't work for him competitively because I can imagine a scenario, a world, where we end up talking about a Taylor Gooch. I'm not using him as a specific example, but, yes, I think there are other players. Those three are the obvious examples, though, yes. I guess we agree on that. Can you, can you enlighten the folks? Right, The next podcast we'll be doing is on Thursday. That's when we're supposed to have some news at least officially announced, so there was a report. What's what's the what's the takeaway from that? What does that mean? Uh, well, the t- t- takeaway is kind of twofold. This kind of stems from the idea that the DP World Tour 
they tried to sanction their players just like the PGA Tour did when they held the first live event last year in London. So any of the DP World Tour members who participated in that, they don't have it written in their regulations, their bylaws, that they can be suspended, but they could find them. So there were immediately 100,000 pound fines levied against these players. Those players immediately challenged that in the court and those fines were stayed and the players were allowed to continue to participate in DP World Tour events, including the Scottish Open. That was kind of last year before the Open Championship, the first time we saw sort of that cross between them. There's been a live player who's won on the DP World Tour, why this stay is going down. Now, according to the report that came out Tuesday in the Times of London, that hearing, the the Sports Resolution UK hearing, which was held in February, it is going to go the DP World Tour's way, which they're going to rule that they can make their own regulations, that these conflicting event releases, it's the same thing that the antitrust lawsuit is predicated on. It, it is fair and competitive in that there is no way to challenge it. And so what it's going to end up with, and I, I think the bigger part of the story is going to be, essentially you've cut these players off from I- any way to get back into the ecosystem. And we've, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, again, yeah, you can play the Asian tour, but that's going to be it in the short term. There is no short-term solution to the lawsuit here in the United States. So it does seem to be a milestone. Uh, it's certainly a milestone. It's a big deal for players who are looking at DP World Tour events as possible kind of a loophole for uh, world ranking points if they wanted to add some to their schedule as irish open scottish open uh during during the summer uh, to try and maintain their world ranking inside the top 50 which would of course keep them eligible for the major championships in 2024 and beyond i think Ryder cup it would be a big deal uh, deeming those players ineligible to continue to qualify now uh, luke donald the european Ryder cup cap could still select those players it is our understanding but they wouldn't earn points towards qualification i i it's certainly a, a big deal i think more world ranking wise than than Ryder cup wise like I, that just seems like that bridge has been burned like who are we actually talking about who's on live who would be on that european Ryder cup team probably sergio right and right now right now he and roy McIlroy, the team leader uh on the european side are are in communica they're not they're not they're not they're not friends they're not talking right now as much as john rom would like to have sergio garcia in that team room uh that seemed like that was uh, going to be a non-starter. We're not talking about Lee Westwood here, Ian Poulter, uh, and the like, uh, Henrik Stenson. Like they were not going to be on this European Ryder Cup team. I think it's more the milestone cutting them off from world ranking points. So, live better be praying that when the decision comes down from the OWGR uh, later this year, that they're going to get world ranking points. Otherwise, you're looking at a very bleak future. Well, they can. The Asian Tour events would come with world ranking points, but it's so minuscule, it's not enough to make a difference. And to your point about even if it goes their way at the end of the year with the official world golf ranking, by that time, all of these players will probably have slid so much that there's no return, that you have so many players who have fallen outside the top 10, top 20, top 50 in the world. What is DJ right now? I think he's 60-something, 69th in the world right now. I, I saw you giggle. Just just get out of a sophomore class on that one, and that, that one's funny. Uh, I, I did want to turn just real quick, and, and I know how much you hate talking about grass and golf course design, but the 13th hole has been a also a center point of the conversation this week. I thought they did a really good job on uh, Tuesday night, uh, Monday night, during the live from of sort of breaking down. It was a Jaime Diaz piece, sort of the 13th hole and how it's that new tee box, 35 yards back, sort of the property they had to buy, everything that goes into it, how that fits into the current narrative of the golf ball goes too far. And this is why we're having the conversation about should we dial back the golf ball. This is a really good week to have this conversation because I do find it fascinating that of all the golf courses in the world, this is the one that gets thrown down as the gauntlet, as 
this is the only place that can stand up to distance. And this is what they have to do to do it. And I mean, it's really, really difficult for me to quantify how much money Augusta has spent to buy up new property to continue to lengthen holes. I did a story on the 13th hole yesterday. Since 1967, they have lengthened that hole six times. So this is not a new concept. And as, as the game continues to march on, I think you're only going to see that more and more. I did, however, think it was a fascinating debate between Brandel Shambly, our Brandel Shambly, and our Paul McKinley. And they were on two sides of this issue. Which side did you walk away from thinking, hmm, I like that one? Didn't watch it. <laughs> did, 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 not, did not watch it. I don't know. I think you, I think you have the same idea. You probably no. Nope. You don't want to try? Nope. Not even going to try. Do you have a thought at all on the golf ball and – where we are in the game right now. I, I do I do find it interesting that Augusta National has gone to, to great lengths, literally, uh, no pun intended, to um, kind of combat distance. However, if they roll the golf ball back beginning in 2026, as they are intending it would be 15, 20 yards for the game's longest hitters, what does that then make Augusta National? Because do they do they reinstall some of those old tees, you think about the 13th hole, right? Like it's, it's, I think it's like 30 yards long. So they obviously have some flexibility in terms of distance, but like the old tee is gone. Like it, it, it's just, it's like, it was never there. And so if you're, if you're cutting 20 yards off of Roy McIlroy's drives and they're now playing from this new tee, which is already making 13 uh, for a lot of guys going to be a three shot hole. Like, is it just like an exceptionally long par five then? Like, 15 now, a lot of players aren't necessarily going for that, especially this week when it's going to be uh, uh, wet conditions, cool conditions, the ball's not going to be flying as far. Is this, is this golf course going to become one of the longest that they're going to play all year long with a rollback golf ball? Like, I find it very interesting. Are they going to reverse some of the old tiger proofing or some of the recent uh, changes they've made to, to combat distance? I think that's an interesting topic. You think they're selling that land that they bought up from Augusta Country Club yeah, back to Augusta Country Club for that 13? Yeah, you guys are going to have this back. We don't need it anymore. Uh, I think they would do whatever works for the tournament. I don't think they have any barriers to what, what they're willing to do. I think they've proven that pretty much year in and year out. I, I will say this, and as it applies to 13, and I guess to a certain degree to 15, I, I don't disagree with what they're doing to the golf course. They, they feel like that this is the way they want their golf course to play, and I certainly respect that. This is their tournament. I guess the part that I've always marveled at, somehow they always have the secret sauce on Sunday. And that's eagles, and that's birdies, and that's roars, and excitement. More times than not, you and I both have sat on that hill and watched things transpire down on by aiming corner and just been in awe. And, and every year they seem to deliver the way other tournaments just don't. And I feel like this is kind of putting that in danger in my mind. Because what you're doing, you're turning this into a three-shot hole. And I, I truly believe, in, in I, talking with a lot of players, I think the consensus was the scoring average on 13 is probably not going to change that much. Because what you're going to do is you're going to take away the Eagles, because guys aren't going to go for the green anymore, but you're also going to take away the double bogeys. And so now you've turned it into a wedge hole. And so I, 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 my concern is that, or is there going to be that much excitement? I mean, we just talked about how much excitement, how, what Rory drew from last Sunday, last year on Sunday. And part of that was an Eagle on 13. He would have to hit a really, really good drive and be highly motivated to do that again this year. Uh, certainly, yeah. I think you're going to have fewer threes and sevens and more uh, four, fives, and sixes. I think that's probably uh, the situation that you're looking at on on 13. I, but I, I think my argument over the last couple of years would be this isn't that exciting of a hole anymore. Like you could basically just jot down that you're going to make a four. You had guys hitting three wood five, or excuse me, three wood eight iron into that par five like you don't want, yeah you don't 
you don't want to see that. That's not how the whole was intended. And so I think it's going to be, it's not going to be as exciting with Eagles. I think this is also going to be a weird year because it's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a mess. And last year was cold uh, as well. And so it played definitely certainly on like a whole like 15, but I think what, what 13 is known for is having that momentous decision and listening to Jordan Spieth earlier this week, he said that is actually going to be more exciting. You may not have the excitement of an Eagle and kind of things changing that way, but you're actually going to have players have to stand there and make a decision whether they actually want to hit a four iron with the ball 18 inches to two feet above their feet, trying to carry the water like that. That's where the excitement is going to be. It's, it's, it's strategy, it's decision-making, it's guts, it's nerve, it's all of that. So it's, it's certainly going to be a different dynamic to 13, but I like the fact that it's not just going to be this, a, a three wood, eight iron hole. And I think, I, I think it would probably be, we'd have some different answers as well. If it was 90 and it was, it was firm and dry. Like, I think it would be a little bit different uh, answers from some of the players this week. I, I, I don't want, I don't want this year's tournament to dictate how we feel about 13th. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a fair representative. No, again, this goes back to not being a prison of the moment. I think you're right. I think we need to see it under various conditions to make the transition. I would be curious, and I've been thinking about doing this all day long. If you were hosting the champions dinner tonight, this is how we get to our barbecue segment. What would you serve? <sighs> Man, there's just there's just so many directions I would go. Like my favorite, so my birthday's on Monday. Oh, thank you. It's a happy anniversary. Do, do not forget it this year. Uh, like my favorite thing in the world is surf and turf. Like I love having lobster tails and like a petite tenderloin or um, filet mignon. And so uh, like that would be boring. You're putting me on the spot. Like just so like I'm, I'm, I'm not a picky eater at all. Like I'd have to have some sort of char grilled oysters because I love that. I love a shrimp cocktail. I love a great steak, but I love like a grilled lobster tail as well. You'd have to have mashed potatoes, obviously. Uh, I would definitely serve Sazerac. That's my favorite uh, sort of cocktail or old fashions. Um, I love like a charred uh, broccolini uh, or asparagus, I think would be uh, delicious as well. Um, I love Caesar salad, a lobster bisque. Uh, I would I would all serve that. Um, and for dessert, I'm not a huge dessert fan. Um, if I had to choose, I would say like a banana pudding, big banana pudding fan. What do you got? I'm going to make this really, really easy. Keep in mind, you have to pay for that. I don't think you thought that through before you just started, got diarrhea of the mouth. YOLO. When the, when the masters, I'm, I'm going absolutely ham when it comes to the, the masters champions dinner menu. I don't think, I don't think anyone actually, I like, so like Hideki's, I would definitely have, I would have sushi too. Yeah. It should, it, there should be plentiful options for everyone. Yeah. And, and, myself as the host that's such an eclectic menu you went everything from oysters to sushi to steak and surf and turf yeah. i mean it's 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 meat and it's meat and seafood those those go together nicely i wouldn't necessarily want to pair those i think you kind of need like a sapporo i feel like i feel like, I feel like that would go down uh well with that hideki's hideki's was the best menu uh in my opinion over the past in, in at least in recent memory uh, no, Adam Scott's was very, very good. He had those Morton Bay bugs, which I've had since we I went to Australia shortly after that and had them. And they are del- they're, they're essentially just little versions of lobster that are sort of more tender and delicious. So what are you, so you going to have? Uh, mine's easy. I'm going to pick the entire menu from Southern Soul Barbecue. And then I'm going to pick, I would say, three quarters of the menu 
from Drago's in New Orleans. So because I too want oysters, I too would love uh, so probably some barbecue shrimp. It, it's mine's going to be eclectic too, but yes, I, I'm I'm probably going to bring the house. All right, we are 45 minutes into this podcast. We will end it real quick. Give me your tournament winner. Give me a sleeper for those filling out office pools. We're doing this on Tuesday. It's plenty of time uh, for those folks to still get in their office pools. What do you got? I don't, I don't have a sleeper. You're, you're, you're going to get angry at me about this. And I've thought about this. Not as though I showed up unprepared. Normally, I do show up unprepared. But in this particular case, I was thinking about it. My, my winner, straight chalk, and for all the reasons we talked about earlier, Scotty Scheffler, the one that I'm doing all kinds of mental gymnastics and, and sort of bending myself backwards, trying to talk myself into, you wouldn't consider a dark horse. But I, like I'm having a heart. No, no, not at all. It's, it's Will Zalatoris. And I know you're not going to qualify him as a dark horse. I know the way we play this game. I've done this before. And, but the way he plays this golf course, I keep going back to, man, like he seems to have this one figured out. And then my mind immediately flashes to what's all over the internet, which is that putt at the, at the WC match play when, I don't know, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I don't want to use that word that you're thinking of right now. He just kind of, let's say he jumped at it. That makes me feel a little bit better than the alternative. But, I mean, I still like Will, but just don't turn on the internet and don't look at that thing. World number eight, Will Zaltoris, uh, Rex's dark horse pick uh, for the Masters. I'm, I am so I'm a little bit surprised that he has not played better coming out of the break. He, obviously, he did not play for four months after he had two hernia did disc in his lower back, but he's played a lot of golf. I think he's played seven tournaments uh, since coming back at the beginning of the year. It hasn't played uh, particularly well. He'd be the first one to admit that his iron play hasn't been quite as sharp. His putting, uh, he's made uh, a little bit of changes, something with his right hand and his grip. Uh, I, I don't know about all that. Is if you can put aside, if you can put aside the aesthetic of Will Zalatoris's putting stroke, with how he actually performs on large, fast, undulating greens, it's like it's he actually is like a top fifty putter. Well, and, and, which, is, which is plenty good enough to win major championships. Well, and it, it's a second shot golf course. We talk about this all the time, and he's among the game's best ball strikers. But I will go back to Memphis last year, where he made multiple clutch putts coming down the stretch to win that event so it's not as though we haven't seen it it's not as though he doesn't have him in him and yet it's like a horror film every time that comes up on my twitter feed because I, I have to it's almost like i have to block it there seems to be some there should be some sort of parental guide on there where i can just say no no more will zalator's videos on my twitter feed please i've seen it for so long it really, it really doesn't even phase me and like they always they almost always go in it's not like he's it's not like he has a 75 percent clip from three feet it's just a little bit herky-jerky, but at least he gets it in the hole. The one in Austin did not go in. Not even close. Didn't touch, didn't touch the hole. Okay, so that, that was one of the 3% that he's going to miss uh, throughout the course of the year. Uh, I, I will not let the fact go. He is the world number eight, and he is your dark horse pick. For me, my tournament winner, I, I, I too believe that it is going to be Scotty Scheffler. I want, I want to pick Jordan Spieth. All signs point to Jordan Spieth. Uh, contending deep into this Masters tournament. You look at his strokes gain numbers, it is very similar to the tournaments in which he has played uh, the best at Augusta National 2015, 2016. What was it 2018 uh, when he made a, a deep run and had the, the foul ball uh, on on 18 that doomed his chances? I think the last couple of years are, are an aberration with how Jordan Spieth uh, plays his golf course. He has a swing in a place that he likes it. Like Will Zaltoris, I'm still not totally confident on him from 5 to 10 feet. He's still missing too many uh, from that range my liking but i do think jordan speed will factor heavily if not win for some sleepers some actual sleepers i will go with Corey connors last week's winner at the valero texas open uh, three consecutive top tens at augusta national the only player to do that the members own 
Live Golf's own Cameron Smith. I think uh, Sung J M, who was uh, featured in my Masters Journal preview, uh, which focused on iron play and how important that statistic is uh, on this golf course. Uh, Sung J M uh, should figure prominently once again. And I know he's not a sleeper, but can Max Homa please factor? in a major championship, his best finish in a major championship. Wait a minute. You just ridiculed me not once, but twice for picking a top 10 player as a sleeper. This is not a sleeper. This is not a sleeper. This is, this is a desperate plea for Max Homer because it would be so fascinating to see someone who is so, such an introspective individual to see him deal with the, the inner demons and the self-doubt that crashes down on every player when you find yourself in contention uh, on the second nine on Sunday. I think that would be fascinating. So like a personal plea as a chronicler of the game, I would love to see that dynamic Max Homa uh, on the, on the second nine. That would make Scotty Scheffler's scene last year of him being in the fetal position on Sunday morning, just crying, his wife consoling him. That, that may look like an intervention compared to what Max would be going through if he found him his way into contention. Yeah. He, he actually had a, he actually had a funny line uh, in his, in his press conference today. Like sometimes you just need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, I'm a good golfer. I can do this. I, I promise you that is, that is not what Tiger Woods was saying to himself in 97, 2001, 2002, 2005, and 2019. All right. Let's go do it for this edition, the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Make sure you guys check us out on Golf Channels live from the Masters all week long, doing daily hits there. We'll also have daily pods, 15 to 20 minutes in length, Following the conclusion of play each day, we'll try to get those up as quickly as possible here at Gus National. We have some uh, other rules. We have some other obligations that we have to do, but we will do our best to get those to you in a timely fashion. We thank you guys for listening. Make sure to read our stuff on golfchannel.com. We'll talk to you on Thursday live. Welcome to the party, my Russell.